Reach Young Adult Ministry Sermons online from Tuesday, February 1st, 2022 by Philip Jackson, pastor to young adults at Evergreen Baptist Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, entitled The Cost of Leadership from 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 16. There is a story. We are, uh, we're in a series where we're looking at 1 Timothy, and if you guys uh, haven't caught the theme yet, the, uh, the year for 2022 for us at Reach is the year of the servant. And we are um, not just looking at ways that we can be servants, but also um, it's important for us to, to know and understand how God has chosen to, um, to put together his community and how we are all meant to invest in each other. And uh, last week we looked at what it means to be uh, a pastor, what it means to be a deacon, the people that, that have, through the evidence of their own lives, their internal character, God has set them aside for ministry, and their church, by extension, has recognized that God has uniquely gifted them a specific way to that church, and so they set them aside for what's called vocational ministry. The idea is that uh, we feel strong enough about God's presence in this person's life that we are going to come together and we're going to support them, we're going to pay their bills, so that they can dedicate 100% of their time to taking care of us and shepherding us. Um, that's the whole premise of the pastor role. And the deacon, if you remember, is the, are the people that come alongside to help serve and meet the practical needs of the church. Well, tonight we're going to look at um, not just the character traits that show us what kind of a person God wants to lead in the role of a shepherd, but this lesson really focuses on the reason for godly leadership as well as uh, Paul gives us a great recipe to understand what leadership is about. Now, if you have uh, this idea in your mind that somehow I am not a leader, so this, this, this lesson doesn't apply to me, I'm sorry, that's not how it works. Okay, All of us have been given a specific area of influence, and that specific area of influence is our responsibility to steward. Here's what I want you to think about. This isn't really... Uh, directly related to what we are going to talk about tonight, but I want you to be considering this. Okay, uh, identity is a big part of a lot of the conversations that we have as a as a right. I want you to think about this. There are two parts uh, about you. There is your identity, identity, and then your roles. Now, why is this important? Because if we choose to put all of, our, all of our value in our roles, then we lose who we are as a person. Okay? Here's, I want you to think about this, this basic concept. Okay? Your central identity is in Christ. Who you are as a person is a child of God. Scripture says that you are co-heirs with Christ that you share in the inheritance of heaven, that you are a royal priesthood that's been set aside for introducing people to heaven. He says that we have been given stewardship over creation to point people back to the Father. This is our identity, right? Your roles are how God chooses to express himself to the world. Okay, so your roles are things like your sex as a man or a woman. God has chosen on purpose to express himself to the world through that role. Okay? He also chooses to express his role through different parts of, of, our, of what we do in our life. This is our, 
our occupation, the job that we do. These are the things like being a husband, being a father, being a wife or a mother. These are roles. These aren't identities. These are roles. And the reason why I say that is because anything that can be taken away from you or that can be held from you is not your identity. Okay? If I, if, if I for instance, my, my wife is back here in the back. If Lindsay and I, for instance, if we never met, if we never got married, or something happens to her, something happens to me, now we're not married anymore. I'm not a husband. She's not a wife. So what does that say about our identity? If that happens, then we've got a real identity crisis. What is something that our generation talks about all the freaking time? Gender identity and roles, right? It's all about, oh no, I identify as this, or I identify as that. Anything that's negotiable in your life is not part of your identity. Okay? You are who you are because God has said it so. And one of the things that we, we fall into is we begin to think that because we don't have the role, the title of a leader, that somehow doesn't apply to us. But, but I want you to be thinking about the, the, this premise of leadership is not so much about someone having a specific role, but someone who understands that everything that they do, how they live their life, has an impact on the people around them. It's the big word that we use all the time on social media, an influence, an influencer. Okay, so as we look at this, not only the need for leadership, but also the cost of the absence of leadership and also what it means to have good leadership or great leadership. So turn your Bibles over to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to follow up our conversation from last week about, um, about the, the need for these people that God sets aside for leadership within the church. And this is universal for everyone, not just for pastors. Remember, we talked about last week that the character traits of a pastor are meant to be an example to everyone that is, that is an ideal that we can put our trust in someone because they've proven their character. Okay, so let's, let's see what is around the corner. The first thing we're going to look at is the cost of bad leadership in the first several verses here. So beginning in verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes to his protege Timothy, and he says, But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. By, by means of the, the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything, God, everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. Okay, the first thing I want you to see here is that Evil never stops fighting. He uses this term, he says, in the latter times or in the later times. One of the things that we've got to think about, it, it's easy for us to, to look at Scripture and think that we are separated by 2,000 years, and so what's happening back then is not relevant to what's happening to us today. And that's just not true. People are people, regardless of what generation that they live in. What Paul is saying here is, if you, if you are thinking about, okay, Jesus said that the kingdom of God is coming and is now here. Now, was he talking about just the moments when he was putting his feet on the earth? No. Jesus said from this point, from the incarnation, from the time that God walked the earth until the time when Jesus comes back to claim his victory, these are what's called, this is what's called the kingdom of God or the latter days. So Paul and Timothy are living in the latter days. We are living in the latter days. We are all in the same boat when it comes to how God has shown us who he is. 
Okay, so he says in the latter days, there are going to be these people. And who gives the testimony that, that this is going to happen? The Spirit does. It says that in verse 1. But he says by, they're, they're going to be getting people to fall away from the faith. Now, how do they do that? Fall away, when he talks about that, he's, the, the big word is apostasy. If you guys don't know this word, you should. Apostasy. Apostasy, I'm pretty sure I spelled that wrong. Uh, no, I did. Okay, cool. Apostasy. This means that somebody proclaimed faith in Christ, and then they, they did their best to live it, to pretend, and then they walked away. This is someone who says they believe something, they don't really, and then they walk away from it because they haven't given it their full measure. And he says that, notice that he has caused people to fall away because they have believed deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Now, what he's talking about here, we, we've, we talked about this in our first lesson. So if you remember, in this generation, when, when Paul was alive, there were these Greek philosophers. Philosophy is not my favorite thing. Okay, I'll just be up front. Some of you love philosophy. I do not. I don't, never mind. I'm going to leave it alone. But these Greek philosophers, they heard about Christianity, and they go, oh, this is perfect. Of course, this is, this is true, absolutely. But it's not quite complete. These philosophers, which eventually turned into what's called Gnosticism, they believed that you had to have some sort of a secret knowledge to be in the in crowd. You had to be kind of on the inside. If you did the right things, if you, if you disciplined yourself in the right ways, then somehow you would be on the in. Okay? And so what happened is that you have these, you have these secular philosophers who are saying, oh, you're a believer in Christ. That's great. You need to come study our discipline in order to have access to the hidden knowledge so that you really will be enlightened. That's a great first step that you believe in this whole Jesus thing, but we need to take it an extra step. And what they began to do is they began to teach that um, the physical world, our bodies, our flesh and blood, right? That this is, that there's no way that a good God, a pure God could make something like this because we're broken. So the only way to do that is you do a bunch of internet, to, uh, you do a bunch of intellectual gymnastics to get to the point to where, okay, well, God is perfect. He's way over there. But in order for him to be perfect over there and for me to get where I am right here, there has to be all these sequences of things getting worse and worse and worse until finally we get to the physical world. Okay, so here's why this all matters. It's because through the influence of Gnosticism and also through the influence of, of uh, what are called Judaizers, these are people who said, okay, that's great that you believe in Jesus, but you need to follow the old Hebrew law. Make sure that you're circumcised. Make sure that you, uh, you, only, you don't work on the Sabbath. Make sure you don't eat certain foods. Make sure you don't do certain things. They put all these limits around, same thing, interesting, the physical world. And they begin to separate the physical from the spiritual. So notice what he's saying here. He says that they pull these people away by deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. He says that they, uh, they do things like they uh, deny that you should be married. He says that in verse 3. He says, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared shared in by those who believe and know the truth. So, consider this. No one actually had to tell these false teachers, hey, why don't you come in here and deceive these Christians? It's a natural thing. Evil doesn't take a day off. And there is a very real danger if you think that you can coast through your life and that you're never going to have any opposition. The reality is 
The scripture says that if you are a friend of the world, you have declared war on God. To be anything but godly is to be ungodly. To be anything other than godly, to pursue anything but godliness, is ungodliness. It's to declare war on God. Evil doesn't take a day off. It's always hunting. Look at, what ha- look at verses 4 and 5. He points out something here. He says, For every create, create, everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God and by prayer. Here's what he's saying here. The same God who created the world and everything in it still gives good things to his children. The idea here is that we have a choice between religion, which puts boundaries on people and limits their own perspective. Everything outside of those boundaries is something to be shunned and to be kicked out of your life. That's religion. But relationship is redefining everything. Notice what he says when he says, God's given us all things that are good. He says, these people are trying to limit you from from doing certain things and saying, okay, if you're going to be godly, you've got to fit inside this box. He says, notice what he says. It's sanctified, in verse 5, it's sanctified by means of the word of God and by prayer. What does that mean? That means that the lifeline of a believer, the lifeline of a leader, is the word. The word is everything. The word is all things. The word is exactly what you need it to be in the exact moment that you need it. God's word, the Bible, is everything that you need. He says that the Bible is the thing, God's revealed word to us, is the thing that redefines everything and applies it to truth. The Bible is the filter that God has given us in order to know what is beneficial to us and what is dangerous to us. Everything that is godly is found in the Word. Everything that is ungodly is anything that is not connected to the Word. Do you catch what I'm picking up? What I'm throwing out there is that the Word is everything. Bad leadership, the cost of bad leadership, what, what's, what's happening here is that these people, are a, these false teachers were able to prey on, on people in the churches because they didn't know the Word. The cost of bad leadership is that there is no sanctification happening to God's people. So think about this. There is a reason why when we do reach, we do a full message of God's word. We do a full meal. You are not going to come here and get a 20-minute snack. You're not going to come here and you're not going to get a hors d'oeuvre that looks pretty. I'm not going to give you a motivational talk. I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear. I'm going to give you real food as best as I can. And the reason why I do that is because bad leadership has a cost. Our job here is to be people of the word. And that is what God uses to redefine everything. Because outside of the word, you've got people drawing boundaries around your life that you can't keep up with. Oh, we don't do this because, you know, we're these kinds of people. We don't do these things because we're these kinds of people. It's all subjective. You get to pick whatever life you want, whatever's good or bad. But here's what happens. Is that this false religion right here, this, this bad leadership, what happens is that people use these things to build their own pride. Oh, you don't do, we don't do that because, you know, 
I'm better than that. We don't do these things because, you know, we're better than those people. Oh, those people, you know, those, those people are really bad. They do really bad stuff. Here's an example, right? So if you, uh, in the South, right, in the, in the buckle of the Bible belt, if I was to pull out a Budweiser on this table, crack it open, and take a big old swig of it, that would be frowned upon. Let me put it that way, right? But if I go to my cultural homeland of Germany and I sit down with scholars and theologians at the Berlin Theological Seminary, guess what we're probably going to have with our lunch? A delicious Bavarian beer, right? Different, different place, different culture, different rules. If I go to the youth room over here and I grab a pool cue, and we begin to play pool. Not a big deal, right? But if I go to Burma, and I pick up a pool cue, they will run me out of the church. Because in Burma, the pool hall is associated with wickedness. See, here's what happens. Is that false religion draws boundaries around people, and it does everything it can to stay away from the truth, because the truth redefines things. God's word says that we have liberty in Christ. But Paul tells us, he said, should I continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, certainly not. The Greek, if you really translate it in in real American talk, he's saying, should I continue in sin so that I can absorb as much of God's grace as I want? Just do it without total disregard? He says, hell no. If you translate that directly, that's exactly what it means. Hell no. Because God's word defines everything. It redefines all of it. You see, the cost of bad leadership is that it poisons people's view of God by cloaking sinfulness in God language. It's destructive because it gives people a false sense of godliness. If I stay away from the word, if I don't lead people well, what happens is that it creates a false religion. It's a religion that's built around the things that I do, not who's in control of my life. This is a problem. These destructive consequences are dangerous. Look at what he says. He says says that this actually sears their conscience like a branding iron. You know what this does, this kind of false religion does? Have you ever, I don't know if you've ever seen cattle get get, uh, um, branded. But a brand uh, produces an incredible scar that never goes away. Okay, so what he's saying is this absence of leadership, what it does is it brands people over and over again. I don't know if you have any scars on your body, but the thicker the scar, the more desensitized that area of your body is. The more numb it is. The more difficult it is to feel normal. He says that this type of false religion produces scars in people. And it sears their conscience to where they don't know what's true and what's not true. This is the reason why we have to have godly leadership. This is the reason why we have to be uh, interested in the direction of our churches. This is why we have to understand that we have to live on purpose because evil doesn't take a day off. We have to be mature students of the word. So check this out. Let's look at the cost of no leadership. Okay, look at verse 6. 
Verse 6, he continues, and he says, In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and the sound doctrine which you have been following. Huh, there's the word again. Interesting. Verse 7, But, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. Only, the, uh, on the other hand, dis- discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For it is for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Prescribe and teach these things. The cost of no leadership, he begins by saying that an absence of leadership starves God's people. Look at verse 6. He says, In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. Consider this. If we live by what's true, it is nourishment to our soul. Do you guys remember when Jesus met the woman at the well? And they have this little dialogue back and forth. And uh, she realizes that he's the Messiah. Right? She runs into her little town in Samaria. Pastor Michael just preached this sermon, right? She runs into her little town in Samaria. The disciples come back. They had ran into town to get some lunch. And they say, Rabbi, are you hungry? And he says, no, I'm not hungry at all. I have food you don't know about. And they look at each other like, wait, did somebody give him a sandwich? God's word, the truth of his word is nourishing to us. It's satisfying to us. If we are consumed with our roles and the ways that we think that God has not been uh, somehow gracious or truthful with us. It changes the way that we think. The only way that we can rightly have security and understand who we are is if we know the word. It's nourishing to us. It feeds us. He says that this person is going to be a good servant of Christ. A leader is a servant of Christ by always reminding people of what's true. If you come and you talk to me about any issue, guess what you're going to get? The Bible. You just are. Many of you can testify to that, right? Because I'll be honest, I'm not the smartest person. I'm really not. I just know my Bible. You come to me with an issue, first question, what does the Word say about that? Because the Word is the nourishment, and that's the true cost of a leader, is that a leader needs to be someone who is in God's Word. He uses this this language here. He says, you're constantly nourished. Something that that we have to remember, especially in our generation, as we are young adults trying to live out the gospel, is that if we are not in the word, we are starving ourselves. We are starving ourselves. If you eat a bunch of empty calories that actually don't have any nutritional value, you can starve. It's true, right, Becca? Our resident nutritionist. Who? Dietitian. I am so sorry. Wow. I am so sorry. Man. And it's on the live stream too. People are watching. Like this is bad. Did you guys know that Beck O'Neill is one of my favorite people? Man. I'm going to stop talking. Um, okay. I learned from our resident army guy over here. Not anymore. Oh. Yeah, we're, we're, so, I'm a mess tonight. Listen, all I know is the Bible, apparently. Um, 
But we're at the end of, at the end of our time tonight. Before we pray for each other, I want to spend some time praying for Taylor because today is his first official day as the college pastor here at Evergreen. Yes. Um, but one of the things Taylor and I go to the woods sometimes, and uh, we camp and and don't even. Oh my gosh. There's other stories that aren't connected to this one, but never mind. There's laughs going on here. I'm losing control of the room. Help me, Thomas. Help me. If you get if you get lost in in the woods and you try to live off of rabbits, for instance, you'll starve to death because rabbits don't have the nutritional value to sustain your body. You will starve to death. You'd have a belly full of rabbit and be feel like you're full, but you'll actually be starving. You know, one of the things about this is that he says you're to be constantly nourished, not just by the words of faith, but he says, if you apply yourself to good doctrine, good doctrine are things that have been proven to be true. In other words, what this means for you is that the cost of of, uh, being a child of God is that we don't just know the word, we've digested the word. We've spent time with the word. We know the word. If I teach you a lesson from this book, and you're like, man, PJ, that's great, and you just buy it hook, line, and sinker, I have not done my job. There's a great uh, story about the Apostle Paul. There's a group called the Bereans. The Bereans heard Paul teach, and they went back to the word, and they proved that he was speaking the truth. And you know what? He loved them for it. Because they didn't just know the word. They hadn't just heard the word. They had digested it. They knew what was true. One of the dangers of having no leadership is that people will starve. The key to leadership in being a good servant of Christ Jesus is to be a man or a woman who lives by the truth. Now, look at verses 7 and 8. This is going to hit a little close to home. So, um, He says, But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. Or on the other hand, discipline, on the other hand, to discipline yourself uh, for the purpose of godliness. He uses this phrase, uh, worldly fables fit only for old women. He's painting a picture here. This is a euphemism. He's talking about the, the busybodies, the gossipers, the little ladies who, who come together over tea or coffee, and they're like, oh, we really need to pray for this person. And that's the preface to be able to say whatever they want about the person they want to talk about. There's all these rumors that are, that, are, that are swimming around. He says, don't be like these people. But he says, um, discipline yourselves for the purpose of godliness. Um, we are to be serious people of the truth who are focused on eternal goals. And the primary job for us as children of heaven is to discipline, our per- discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. Remember, everything that is not in the word is not godly ungodliness is anything that's contrary to him. He says that we should labor and strive for these things. This is why we do this, because it's been proven. Why? Because Christ is the Savior of all mankind, especially of believers. Now, check this out. This is really important for us, because there is uh, something that, as I've, as I've done more seminary training, and as I've spent more time in ministry in different places, this is something I think that, that, that trips people up sometimes. Okay, so look at verse 10. Verse 10 and 11. He says, uh, For it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, 
especially of believers. Now, there is a very, there's a really popular systematic theology um, called Calvinism. Okay? Um, now, probably by saying that word, I just triggered half of you. <laughs> You're like, okay, I'm done listening. This is just, yes. Um, here's the challenge. Is that within Calvinism, there's this idea, this concept called irresistible grace. That somehow, God doesn't let people choose whether or not to follow him. The idea is that God is so powerful in his sovereignty, if he wants you to be saved, he's going to make you saved. And he gets to choose, decide, right? And people quote Romans chapter 8, that you have been predestined to be his child. But that's actually not what Romans 8, Romans 8 says. It says you're predestined to be like him if you are his child. So follow me down this rabbit hole here. This is important because this is an issue that we deal with every day. Okay, if you're living in church, if you hear, if you hear the word, the P word, predestination. Oh my goodness. Predestination, that's right, okay. Here's the problem, is that this word, or this verse right here, verse 10, says that he's the Savior of all men. If that's the case, then how can God choose some to go to heaven and some not? If he said, hold on a second, he's the Savior of all men. Okay, hold up. Now we got a problem, because this can't be true. If God, if the idea of predestination is that we have these people over here, the O's, they're the haves. They get to go to heaven. And the X is over here. They're the have-nots. They can't go to heaven. Okay, God gets to decide that. But this verse says that he died for all people. So what does that mean? Well, does that mean that all people go to heaven? Okay, hold up. That means that um, over here we have predestination, and that means that God gets to pick and choose. But if he died for all people, you have this thing called universalism. Now, this all matters because I trust that you all are smart people and you're tracking me here, okay? Universalism is the belief that everyone gets to go to heaven no matter what. Why would, why would a loving God send people to hell? Well, here's the challenge, is that we're already on our way to hell. And God, God has given us the opportunity to make himself known and for us to uh, submit to his option to not go to hell. So he says, look at, let's finish the verse. He says, who is the savior of all men, especially of believers. What this means is that God has chosen to allow us to have a choice. So how is that possible? If God is all powerful, if he is sovereign, okay, how can he let us choose? Well, did you know that Philippians 2 tells us that there is only one situation that happens with God to where he will actually set aside certain parts of who he is for a purpose? You think about that? Philippians 2 says that Christ laid aside, set aside all of the benefits or the prerogatives of being God for the purpose of constraining himself to time and space to live as a human being. He laid aside his omniscience, his all-knowingness. He laid aside his omnipotence, his all-powerfulness. 
He laid aside his omnipresence, his ability to be in all places at all times, to be a constrained human being on purpose. Why? So that you could have an option. So that you could have a choice. So that you could be redeemed. So can God be sovereign and also give us a choice at the same time? Absolutely. Why does he do, why does he do that? Because he has chosen to give us access through our own decisions. God is not out for robots. He has always given mankind a choice from the beginning. Even Adam and Eve in the garden had a choice. Why? Because God cares for us so much. He says that he is the savior of all mankind, especially believers. Because here's the thing, is that believers are the only ones that have fellowship with him. Because believers are the only ones who have actually tasted the goodness of God. Because believers are the only ones that can read God's word with the help of the Holy Spirit and understand from the great teacher what life is really about. Believers are the only ones who know what their true identity is. Believers are the only ones who aren't confused about their roles. Believers are the only ones who have hope. He says, this is how we get hope. He says, for bodily discipline is only profitable for a little while. But godliness is profitable for all things because it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. He says, this is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. And we labor and we strive for these things. We, we, we work at these things to understand these things because God is a God who cares deeply for us. But he's not content for us not to have any leadership. He says that the, the whole purpose of all of this is so that we can live and know exactly how to live in this life. Okay, so check this out. Let's look at the cost of great leadership. Look at verse 12. He says, Let no one look down on you, on your youthfulness, uh, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. But take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. What does it cost us to have great leadership? Paul tells Timothy, don't let people look down on you because you're young. Now here's something that I want you to think about. We read, this, we read these passages of Scripture, especially verse, verse 12, and we immediately jump to the don't let people look down on you because you're young part. That's not the point. That's not the point at all of this verse. The point of this verse is it's a recipe to know how to live. The whole look, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young, this is a challenge. He's giving them a reputation to live up to. He's saying if you want people to not look down on you, if you want people to, to give you influence, live in this way. He says to be an example to all in speech. What he's talking about here is how you use your tongue. How you talk about people, how you talk to people, and how you, the words that you say matter. There's a great quote from the book of Proverbs. It says, it's better to be thought a fool and to keep your mouth shut than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. When in doubt, shut your mouth. 
That's a great rule to live by. When in doubt, shut your mouth. Okay? The idea here is that we need to be an example by the words that we say. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. He says, be an example by what you say. He says, be an example by your conduct. In other words, in other parts of the scripture, he says, live worthy of the gospel. If our identity is to be a child of God, to be a child of heaven and a co-heir of Christ, we need to live in a way that is going to be consistent with that message. The way that you live is the loudest sermon that you will ever preach in your life. Everything about you is going to be summed up by how you live. You are the only Jesus that some people will ever see. And if you're conducting yourself in a way that is ungodly, you're not walking worthy of the gospel. This is a very real thing. You say, well, I'm not a preacher. Nobody's ever going to be listening to what I have to say. They are by how you live. This is people that you work with. This is people that that are in your family. This is your siblings and your significant others. This is your boyfriend and your girlfriend, your fiance. These are people that are important in your life. Your life matters, and the decisions that you make and how you live matter. How you say and the way that you live. He says, be an example in love. The word that he's using here is the Greek word for godly love. It's agape. It's driven by a particular desire to love others like God loves them. The idea here is that if you're an example in loving people as God loves them, you're going to be wanting them to be close to Jesus. If you call it love, and you're in a relationship with someone, and you are not pushing them to Jesus— you are being an ungodly influence on that person. You are not practicing godly love. If the, if the love that you think that you're expressing to someone is pulling you anywhere besides God, it is not godly love. He says, be an example in faith. In this context, Paul's telling Timothy to be a man of faith, not just to have faith in general, but to be a man who is always pointing other people to the hope of faith in Christ. He says, be an example of purity. In other places in, in, in uh, this letter, the only other place that this is translated is in verse 2. We'll look at that next week. And it's in regard to older believers being rebuked by younger believers through their example in godliness. He says, if you want to have credibility with everyone, not just people that are your age, be a person who walks in purity. Be someone who understands that their life matters, how they live matters. Paul's telling Timothy to be an example because it's not just about proving yourself right to others. It's about understanding that your life is communicating a point to everyone. If you have to justify your position to people, you are not doing a good job living out as an example. Don't have respect with people? That's not a them problem, that's a you problem. Because the reality is, that if you think you have to prove and use your position as a weapon to prove your point, you're not really a leader. You're actually a negative influence, according to God's word. Look at verse 13. He gives us a recipe for good leadership. He says, Until I come, give your attention to public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. The idea here is, he sa- he's, he, again, he's going back to the word. He says, If you can be about anything, be about these three things, reading God's word, encouraging other people, and understanding what God's word says. It's not just about being able to quote verses. It's about understanding what the truth of it is. The fancy word is hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the, is the, the process, the discipline of knowing what God's word says. Because the Bible doesn't mean what it says. It means what it means. 
This is the study of knowing what God said in the context of what he, and how he said it. He says, dedicate yourself to knowing God's word. Look at verse 14. He says, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with a laying on of the hands of the presbytery. This is, this is what he's talking about here is he's reminding him of his call to ministry. He's saying leadership is a serious task that requires confirmation from serious believers. The thing that we saw in you when you started, Timothy, dedicate yourself to that. The most powerful thing in your life is your knowledge and command of God's word. The most powerful thing about you is how you live your life. He says, dedicate yourself to these things that we saw in you from the beginning. And he says, by doing that, you're going to confirm exactly what all of us knew. We look at verse 15. He says, take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. And look at verse 16. He says, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Again, we're back to this idea that the word is what preserves people. The word is what saves people. Paul says, how will people know, know Christ unless they hear the word? We have to be ravenous towards the word. We have to be hungry for it. Leadership begins with what you decide to build your life on, is what he's saying here. Anything other than God's word is not of God, and, or as he defines it, as ungodly. Here's the thing is that your influence doesn't start with your personality type, your sex, your skin color, or even your Enneagram. It starts with letting God have control. There are a lot of things out there trying to deceive you through demonic and satanic things. And the reason why I say that is because anything that is not from God's word is demonic and satanic. I say that unapologetically. If you are building your life on anything besides God's word, I don't care what verses that they, that they paste in their little fancy a flyer for you it is not true it is not true any system that's created by man to define you outside of god's word is ungodly they might be interesting ways to think about how you might be in your personality but your myers-briggs compared to god's word is garbage your enneagram compared to god's word is garbage you are not a six or a seven or an eight or a nine or whatever you're a child of god a child of God that says that if you apply yourself to God's word and you live by God's word, he will renew your mind. He will change you from the inside out. You will walk in confidence and victory. You will know who you are because you are in community with your maker. The challenge is that we live in a generation where people are obsessed with trying to find any bit of truth without actually looking for the truth. Why? Because everything else out there besides God's word that you use to define yourself comes down to this little word. If I am special, then I don't need God. If people listen to me, then I don't need God. If I sparkle, I don't need God. If I'm smart enough, I don't need God. It's all about me. The challenge is that we live in a generation of people who are starving. And they're eating a bunch of no-calorie foods, wondering why they're not getting healthy, 
You want, you want answers for your trauma? God's word. You want answers for your anxiety? God's word. You want answer for your relationships? God's word. You want answer answer for your depression? God's word. You want answers for your eating disorder? God's word. You want answers for anything about your life? It is in God's word. Because the only healthy person that can define you is the one who made you. And if you're not in God's word, you will never know him. I'm going to close with this. For those of you who are believers, the responsibility to be a minister of the gospel and to renew others is not just for pastors, it's for everyone, including you. You have a responsibility to be a leader and to seek out ways to encourage and to live by God's word because that is where true life is found. There's no other place. And I want to ask you, I don't know where you are in your walk, but I want you to ask you to seriously evaluate what are you building your life on? Are you building it on God's word? Or are you building it on your social media, your persona? Are you, are you building it on your personality tests and your gimmicks? Are you building your life? Really, really ask yourself, what am I building my life on? Am I building my life on this relationship? Am I building my life on sex? Am I building my life on pornography? Am I building my life on good old-fashioned pride? What am I building my life on? I'll give you a clue. The thing that you think about the most is the thing that you're building your life on. The thing that you think about the most, the thing that you dream about, that you can't wait to get to when you get in your car and you leave work, that is what you're building your life on. If it's anything besides God's word and God, you are building your life on ungodly things. If you dream about anything besides God, and you find your value in that thing, you're obsessed with that thing, you're going to wake up down the road and you're going to realize that you've missed it. It could be that you have no idea what I'm talking about. If you don't know Jesus, there is no hope for you. I'll tell you straight. If you do not know Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I'm not talking about you can speak the God language, you can speak the church language, you know the secret handshakes and how to get along and fly under the radar, all that stuff. I'm talking about if you don't have a deep hunger for God's things, you don't know Jesus. Hey guys, this is Philip Jackson, pastor of young adults at Evergreen Baptist Church. I want to invite you to come to Reach. We meet every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at Evergreen Church in South Tulsa, just east of Mingo on 111th Street. The mission of Reach Tulsa is to cultivate a young adult community that's defined by real transformation and a sincere pursuit of a godly life through training in biblical disciplines, personal development, and intentionally transitioning into independence as mature members of the body of Christ. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like and subscribe to our content. We're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Reach Young Adult Ministry is a part of Evergreen Baptist Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information and additional lessons, please visit our website, evergreenbc.org.